Welcome to The Honest Pour with John Lennart, where we go beyond the bottle to connect you with the people and places that make each wine so unique. It was four years and 75 episodes ago that I started The Honest Pour. Today, on its fourth anniversary, during these very challenging times, I hope that you're able to sit down and enjoy a glass of wine with a loved one or a friend, whether it's face-to-face or through Zoom or another, another uh, online platform. It's what wine is all about. It's about bringing us together while we're forced apart. Today in this episode, I interview Philippe Rollet of Carroll Winery in Argentina. Carol is a partnership between two wine giants, the Rothschilds and Catena. I sat down and talked with Philippe about what each of these great wine entities bring to Carol, and of course, why Melbeck and South America are so synonymous. We also tasted some delicious wines. Hope you enjoy the show. This episode of The Honest Pour is sponsored in part by Fooditor.com, bringing you the stories of Chicago's chefs, restaurants, and people who make food all over town. Fooditor.com. Hi, welcome to The Honest Pour. I'm John Lennart. Joining me today is Philippe Poulet of Carl Winery in Argentina. Welcome to the show. Thank you, John. Thank you. How did you get started in the world of wine? Well, I, I believe it had no choice about it because I was born in a, in a winemaker family. My, my, I come from Jura in France, where my family owns uh, Domaine Rollet. And I was involved very, very young in the wine business, uh, just uh, with my great father in the vineyards. And then was, uh, was my, my uncle, who is the winemaker of the family. So it's, it was a family business. So uh, I, I grew up in between the, the vines in, in Jura, uh, very, uh, at the very, very beginning, um, getting to, to know uh, special grapes that we have in, in Jura, sure, uh, sure. Savagnin, Trousseau, and, and other Pinot Noir. Hmm. And uh, then I, I, I had the opportunity to work with uh, William Febvre. And that's probably uh, oriented my career uh, internationally, because William Febvre and Chablis uh, proposed me to manage a joint venture. It was uh, it was starting in Chile, so I arrived in Chile in the year 1995, and uh, and stayed there to build the William Febvre Chile Winery, and then came back in in Europe, and was after a couple of years was hired by um, a French family, which name was uh, Dolan. Uh, to take charge of uh, an Argentinian winery, which was uh, Alta Vista Winery in, in Mendoza. Sure, sure. And uh, I've been there for 14, 14 years now. And afterwards, I worked for another, another big project in Argentina. And now, since uh, 10 months, uh, in charge of Bolega Caro in, in, in Argentina. It's interesting when, when people grow up in a, an agricultural family, the children tend to move away to the city. They don't want to be farmers. But in the world of wine, I find that's not true. You're right. What is it about the world of wine that you're passionate about? Why did you continue the heritage of your family? Uh, you know, we have... Uh, I, 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 very early, I could acquire a lot of uh, experience uh, in, in, in winemaking and understanding the wines. Uh, not from, but from a patient side, not from a, not from a number side. I mean, and uh, and I, I think that we had we have a patrimony, or we had a patrimony in the family that I want to uh, I, I want to, to, to pursue. Uh, I was unable to pursue it on, on the on the family business, but uh, nevertheless, 
uh, I, I really thought that uh, I, I could bring something, and 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 I would be, and I was for sure very patient about 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 this job, and um, yeah, in yeah, I just think that the um, uh, the roots that one may have uh, allow me to 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 go faster. I mean, on the patient side, on what I had to learn definitely uh, was definitely the uh, the number side. So uh, this is on the, on the part of the business that I needed to learn uh, because it's right that uh, in the I, I work in a traditional wine family where. Uh, Numbers were not the. Uh, were, I've never been the uh, the most important things, and when you when you when you go abroad and and work for international companies such I I I, I did I, I I needed to come to bring this to my expertise. You've worked for some fairly prominent names. No, Lafitte. Uh, how did you get these jobs? Did you did you study? Did you go to? Yeah, yeah. I, I studied. Well, I first I I I studied um, wine business in in, in in France, in business school, and then I studied um, um, in United in England. Sorry, uh, I a certificate in wine and spirits, and then I made a master in in international commerce of wine business. So that's why. Uh, Gave me the uh, the structure and the roots for uh, for managing wineries. So you really took apart that from, apart from the uh, apart from the uh, from the patient. Yeah, yeah. You took that that family passion. You really added in to to almost the highest degree that business side of it. Yeah, I was uh, I was quite lucky, and I think that uh, I I've trying to make things very consistent in my in in my professional life. Uh, consistency in terms of. Uh, um, uh, of of wine of 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 quality quality has never been negotiable in any of the, the uh, on any of the project I have managed, um, so that's part of the story. And what was it that took you from mm-hmm. France to South America? Um, patient for uh, patient for South America. I knew when I was working in Chile, uh, there was Chile was exporting a lot of its of its wine, and and on the other side, I, I used to go to Argentina every every three months, every four months, because I was, I, I had, I was living with my wife in Chile, which didn't have any at that time any any visa for living in Chile. So every three months, we needed to get out of the of the country, and and the easiest way for us was going to Mendoza, and and. At that time, you can see this giant in 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 South America making wines that could be uh, better at that time. I was talking about the year '95, '96, yeah, yeah. and which didn't export anything. So uh, it was a very close uh, close country with a huge potential. Uh, Malbec at that time at that time cabernet was still uh, probably the, uh, the most important grape in argentina because people used to drink more cabernet sauvignon than malbec but you can feel that there was a, a very huge potential for malbec that was so far undiscovered so uh, I, I i used to travel there in 96 7 and 8 and and when they had i when i had the opportunity to come back in in argentina for, for working there i i knew that uh, there would be some things. The giant, it, it was the giant should 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 show to the world, and that's that's what happened. The only thing is that I didn't thought that it would happen so fast. 
uh, uh, in, in this story because I arrived in Argentina in 2001, just, just in the middle of the crisis. And I just thought that it would take probably four, five, ten years to get to get the Malbec to get known. And to be honest, with the devaluation, with the crisis in Argentina, uh, wineries needed to get out of the country. And, and this boomed. Uh, this, this really uh, was the beginning of, of the Malbec revolution. And this was much faster than I would, than I would have thought at the beginning. And Carl started in 1999, correct? That's right. So that was a rocky start to economically, economically to, yeah. to begin a, a, a wine venture such as this. You're right. Well, I, I believe that uh, the uh, um, both of both shareholders of the project uh, and the shareholders very, are Chateau Lafitte Rothschild and Doctor uh, Catena. Doctor Catena. So these are these are big prominent, big, big prominent names. known brands. You're right. I they they, uh, they met. I, I know that uh, Baron Eric de Rothschild met uh, Nicolas Catena in, in 1999, and they almost immediately fit uh, this project for uh, for Caro. Uh, it was it was obvious for them. I mean, both of them could bring to the project uh, each of their um, domain of, of expertise. Uh, Catena knew very well all the terroir in, in Mendoza, knew very well the Malbec. Uh, the, family, the family Rothschild has his own experiences in, in, in Cabernet Sauvignon, also in aging the wines. You may know that uh, uh, Domaine Lafitte owns its own cooperage. Its own cooperage, right. Uh, so so it, was, it was quite obvious that uh, something could be done and, and very successful on, on the short term. And I believe that none of the order, of the shareholders, uh, where I've been um, worried about the uh, the economic uh, problems that Argentina was starting to face in 2000, uh, at the same time that both um, shareholders right now uh, are confident in the future, despite of the turbulences that uh, that that we are having in in Argentina, both of them see the project Caro. Uh, writing it in not so long time. I mean, the scale uh, for at for, for family Lafitte uh, has been in the wine business for more than 150 years. Uh, family family Catena is now with the fifth generation of winemakers. So I think wow. that we are we are on another sphere. You would think five generations in Argentina. Yeah, it's such a you think you think South American wine in general. You think it's a it's a young wine culture but five generations that's something else there's a yeah. lot of heritage there but you know that Argentina is often seen as a, as an, as a new wine country but uh, as a matter of fact it has uh, well wines arrived from France in 1850 and and the big difference in this new wine country is that it has been traditionally drinking wine uh, it's a little bit different from Australia Chile where where Wine business was meant or thought mainly for exportation and not not specifically for the national market. In Argentina, uh, I, we have to remember that Argentina was colonized by by Italian and, and Spanish people who brought their basically their their, uh, their their uses and and within of this wine was uh, accompanying all the meal. Um, that's why in the 70s uh, Argentina used to drink as much as wine as French or Italy. Just more a pattern of consumption much more corresponding to Europe than New, new World wine. What is it about 
Melbeck in South America. Why, 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 why is that such a synonymous marriage? Look, um, we have uh, historically, which is quite interesting. Uh, it's a French French guy, uh, which name is, was Miguel Pouget, who, who brought. He was actually he was in Chile. And there was a future president that was living in Chile. His name is Sarmiento. Um, that met him and, and offered him to take a place in Mendoza to form uh, uh, a farm, uh, an experimental farm, to um, colonize the desert. Because you may know that Mendoza is a desert. Uh, we have very few, uh, very few, very few rains. And he offered him to open this experimental farm in, in 1853. At this time, Mr. Pouget brought f from uh, Europe a lot of different grapes, uh, which were prephylloxeric uh, selection. And, and um, the Cabernet, he brought a lot of things, but amongst all, uh, the Malbec is one of the grapes that more adapted to the, to the Argentinian climate. Um, to be honest, it was during years, uh, it, no, nobody called it Malbec. I mean, during almost one century, it, oh. it was called, no, not even, it was called the French grape. Just in Mendoza, French grape. just the French grape. And, and, um, and to be honest, and, and that was, that, that what was interesting also is that this grape um, was uh, selection, we, uh, winemakers or viticulturists in Argentina, made a massal selection of, of this grape alongside those almost 100, more than 150 years, and which makes that you will find in Argentina some different massal selection depending on where you are. There are no clones of Malbec that have been uh, planted, widely planted, so we are still working with the uh, massal selection, which is a prephylloxeric selection of Malbec. Which so tends, it's still prephylloxeric rootstock? Yeah, it's, it's still prephylloxeric rootstock, and it's quite different from the cut of the Malbec from France. In France, uh, after the Second World War, um, winemakers or people uh, produce clones sure, of grapes, sure. and and Malbec. We, we in France we selection several clones of, of, of grapes of Malbec, and I used to import uh, some of this material and plant it and, and produce it. And the wine is really completely different from Malbec. I mean, in Argentina, this, those French roots are called new French roots are called cut, and and the the kind of wine which it produces is quite different from, from, from the Malbec. So the Malbec we have in Argentina is absolutely, it's has been adapted to the terroir. The history yeah. of what those wines produced. Yeah. Combined and with the ter com special terroir of Mendoza. And, and the, the, the selection of the work of selection of grapes, of plants that have been done in the last 150 years by, by Argentinian viticulturists. One of the tricky parts about Malbec is it's kind of like Merlot was in the early 90s, where you're able to grow a lot of it. It likes to grow a lot. Makes kind of flabby, uninteresting wines if you're not careful. Mm -hmm. If you grow too much and you know, not selective about where. What makes the Melbeck you're making different than those uninteresting wines? Um. Well, first of all, uh, basically, the, uh, 
zones of production. In Argentina, uh, we all our wines are in Argentina are produced in, in Mendoza. Mendoza is basically the root of uh, of the Malbec production in Argentina. Concentrates most of the top vineyards, and um, one of the key uh, explanation for quality of Malbec uh, is basically its altitude. Uh, first, uh, when when what altitude are you growing at? We are right now uh, producing our wines between 1,000 and 1,100 meters of altitude. Very high. So that's more than 300 feet of altitude, that mountains, vineyards. And um, one, of, one of the explanations of, of, of altitude is that during nighttime, uh, we've got permanent snow on the Andes, and that generates uh, cold winds that go down into, to, to, the, uh, to the lowlands. And on on their way to the lowlands, uh, they are warming up. So the closest or the highest you are in the in the Andes, uh, the the more fresh air you're going to keep during night, and and this is one of the key factor for for top Malbec because you keep more freshness, more fruit, and more acidity, which is a component that helps you to, to age the wine very well. The other explanation is that, and, and this still needs to be to be studied, but when you are at higher altitude, you have more ultraviolet uh, radiation. So, and and the ultraviolet radiation for the grape uh, is kind of um, Oblige the grape to uh, or the the, uh, the berries uh, to have to make more protection to protect the seeds because the, the, the berries always try to protect the seeds, yes. which is the thing which will allow the vine to reproduce itself. So so it makes a, a, a thicker skin, and uh, and oh. with this thicker skin, more character. More character uh, more tannins, more anthocyanins responsible for color. So generally, we have more more concentration. And um, the other, once we have once we have set the uh, the altitude, uh, we are taking a lot of care in Caro uh, about the soil and subsoil, because uh, today's uh, we have. In Mendoza, we have kind of a patchwork of, of terroir in terms of soil and subsoil, uh, depending of depending where we are on the foot of the Andes, and um, on this pattern, um, on this patchwork, uh, we have soils that are more interesting than other for one or other grapes, depending on one another varietal. And um, in in Malbec, for example, we are looking soils that are usually poor, uh, that drain well. And if the best, if that's possible, uh, to have a little bit of chalk uh, that gives you usually more tension mm. and and better quality, better, better quality Malbec. Um, we are globally we are looking and we are known with our wines in in Argentina. Uh, we are known for for the elegancy of of our wines, and this is usually a combination of high altitude and terroir not soils components. I have a question that I'm really intrigued by this idea of how the ultraviolet light affects mm -hmm. the grapes. And being that you're so new to, to, to Carl, maybe you don't know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask. As climate change becomes more and more uh, prominent becomes more and more has more and more effect on our agriculture. Does that ultra is that 
ultra amount of ultraviolet light increasing in a significant way and changing what the character of the grapes are over the past, you know, over your time in South America? No, what we see is more, uh, we have more, see, I've been living in Argentina now for 19 years and there is for sure climate change like everywhere else. Uh, what we see is uh, usually in Argentina more occurrence of age storm uh, because of, uh, of aggressive uh, aggressive storms. This means that uh, our vineyards need to be protected by net, uh, oh, which okay. is which is which is a very good thing because it it tends to shadow a little bit uh, our uh, the sunshine and uh, and also uh, made uh, produce um, um, uh, places where we can. Um, lower down or kind of lower down uh, the evapotranspiration so we need we need less we need less water to to to, to irrigate but globally um, our main concern in Argentina in the future is going to be the water because uh, we all, all the vineyards in Argentina are irrigated and uh, we need to more than ultraviolet uh, we need to because ultraviolet basically has hasn't changed so much in the last uh, in the last time. What what we what we see is more uh, aggressive uh, pattern of of of, uh, of climate. Uh, it means uh, bigger waves of heat, more extreme, more extreme heat wave during during summertime or uh, frost that can come late during springtime uh, that can destroy some some sure. some some production. Should we taste some wine? Sure. Where should we start? We'll start with Aruma. What is Aruma? Aruma is we have two different uh, universe in 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 Caro. Um, first I should say that Caro was born with those two wines, Caro and Amancaya, which were thought at the very beginning uh, like um, the Grand Cru okay. and the second wine. Okay. That was that was the very that was the very start of the project in in 2000, and in 2007, um, basically the uh, the markets are asked us for more um, affordable wine, so there was no sense for us to produce a third wine, which was a third cru. Uh, so that's why we, we decided to produce something completely different. This wine is Aroma, uh, which means the power of the night, uh, because of the freshness of the night I was talking earlier, um, is 100% Malbec. And its particularity is it, it was aged without oak. It's a wine that comes one no hook. No hook. It comes from the highest vineyard of the Valle de Uco, uh, 1,100 1, meters of altitude, and absolutely no oak. Why, we why really that want. We, well, the challenge for us, we have very high concentration of. We, we produce very low yields in the vineyards, so that it allows the wines to to be uh, to, to express itself without any kind of oak, and. Um, the idea is really to reflect uh, the the qualities of the of the terroir that we have in in, in Valle de Uco. Wow, the the aroma is really complex. It's yeah. um, those those red cherries, but with a really nice minerality. There's a good earthiness to the nose. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. Really bright acidity. Mm-hmm. Really bright acidity. That's nice. This is something that will characterize all our wines. Um, acidity is always a, a guideline through our our production. Lovely for food. I should have said that we only produce three wines and only red wines. Mm-hmm. And do you know roughly what the retail price of this wine is? Um, between, depending on the state, between 15 and, and 17 US dollars. This is a $17 wine? Yep. This may be the best $17 wine in the States. And I don't say that lightly. Thank you very much. Wow. Yeah, what great character and complexity. That's outstanding. Uh, go out and find yourself some aroma. It's, it's grill up a steak and pull. This is this is a Tuesday night wine and it drinks beautifully. Wow, that's that's spectacular. Thank you. Thank you very much. What do we have next? Then we enter in the uh, on 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 the Caro universe with Amancaya. Amancaya has always been a blend, uh, a blend between. Malbec and Cabernet Sauvignon, usually it's uh, majoritarily from Malbec. In this case, in 2017, uh, it was a blend between 60% of Malbec and 40% of, of Cabernet Sauvignon. It comes from mainly from um, Valle de Uco, but we also have a very old vineyard of Malbec that we love in the northern oasis of Mendoza. Uh, in Nujan de Cuyo, which, uh, which brings some complexity to the, uh, to the blend. These blends were produced in 2017 and aged in, in French oak barrels uh, during one year. We still don't, don't age all the cuvee in, in wood. Uh, we, we still want to have part of the wine which is fresh fresher and, and fruit. Yeah. So usually that's 50% of, of, the, of the blends that goes into, into barrels. Now on the nose, the, 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 those kind of more darker current aromas come in, but still that, uh, that Malbec freshness. Nice and complex floral notes. Okay, this wine's a little more serious. Yeah. This wine's a little more serious. Um, this is 2017, so still a baby. Exactly. I think a couple more years in the bottle will do this nicely, but um, very nice. Uh, you talk about a year in the barrels. Are they the barrels from the Lafitte Cooperage? Yes, we are working at uh, 80% with, uh, with Lafitte Cooperage. Uh, the rest is our about two other French Coopers, but we love uh, Lafitte, Lafitte Cooperage. Uh, it's it's different from the rest of the production I've been working with. Usually the uh, the toasting is lighter than any other um, Cooperage that I've worked in Europe, and it's um, it's it's a toasting that needs time to express itself. That's why uh, at, the wines that goes into barrels keep at least. 12 months because it's uh, it's uh, it's a tannin which is structurating it's usually not invasive on the nose it's more structurating on the mouth and and, and it needs time and and both this wine and cow wine that we are tasting now 
probably because of this component of uh, Lafitte barrels, uh, will are very complex and need time in the in in in, in the uh, on the glass. That's wines that are very rewarding for people that are, that that can that are that are patient because. Uh, Within the, within the time passing five ten minutes, you will find new layers in in, in the wines that in this universe, among Gaia and Kao. All right, so let's move on to our last wine. So we have Caro. Caro, Caro, twenty fifteen. Caro has always been a blend, um, and the proportion between Malbec and Cabernet Sauvignon have never been set. It's depending on, on, the on the vintage. We have vintages like this vintage, 15, where uh, majority is, is from Malbec. But for example, 16, which is the next one coming, is absolutely on the reverse. So we have no 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 guideline for this. It's really depending. Let's make uh, the best wine. The best wine, exactly. And how much of this makes it into the U.S.? Um, I would say also around 10%, uh, yes, 20%. And 20% is roughly? It's very, roughly uh, 800 cases. Okay, so this is That's, a little bit of work to find, Yeah, but it's not impossible. You're it's not right. like some Premier Cru Burgundy that, you know, six bottles come yeah, to yeah. the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. um, and the, the, the retail price on this bottle? Uh, we are talking about 65 U.S. dollars. Okay, still not, mm. I mean... In line with a decent Napa Valley Cabernet stuff. Yeah. Great. Let's take a look. Oh, see, this is... You can already see the color showing a little more maturity. Really pretty. Elegant nose. This is more about earth than fruit, I think, even though it's it's predominantly Malbec in this vintage. It's really quite earthy. Yeah, you've got graphite. Mm-hmm. And on the palate as well. But, wow, that's lovely. That's quite elegant. That's what we are known for. Usually in, in, in Argentina, our, our wines are known for complexity and elegance. Um, and that wine that will age very, very oh, well. Oh, this wine will last 20 years. Yes. yes. Actually, it's going to drink now, but I would I would love to to to, to open the bowl in in two three more years. Now it's, you've only been around since 1999. Going back and tasting, I'm sure you periodically get a chance to go back and taste some of those earlier vintages. How are those How are those standing up today? Very well. I mean the uh, 2002, uh, which was probably the best vintage of last decade, is uh, is is fantastic right now. Uh, and and we have we have we have no we, we don't have a lot of uh, of, of record uh, on on all vines, but all those 2000, 2001, 2002 are still alive. So um, and especially for two thousand two, I believe that it's probably as more as as ten or fifteen more years uh, in front of them to to age. So uh, so we have we don't have a lot of tracking record. But, uh, but, but we know those wines have the capacity to age. And what we are doing right now in, in Caro, especially, and Caro and Amancaya is, is now from this year uh, bottling more and more Magnum wine. Um, yeah, because, because we believe that that's, 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 that's the ideal bowl for wines to age well. 
<laughs> sure, mm, sure. Yeah, I, yeah. I think I agree with that. Yeah. Well, Philippe, thank you so much. Tasting your wines was special, and meeting you was just a pleasure. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, John. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. For John's tasting notes on the wines from this episode, go to www.thehonestpourpod.com. Make sure you catch every episode by subscribing to The Honest Pour with John Lennart at iTunes, Stitcher, or the Google Play Store. Also, be sure to like us on Facebook at The Honest Pour with John Lennart, and follow us on Twitter at The Honest Pour. This has been The Honest Pour with John Lennart. Music by Kevin McLeod. Thank you.